There was no paparazzi, to be honest, until season four. And it's funny because I remember when Kim was on Dancing with the Stars, we all wore these shirts that was like Team Kim, the crew and the cast. And we all went down Robertson trying to get attention so people would vote for Kim on Dancing with the Stars. We were literally like, hello, T-shirts, we're here. Like no one was bothering us. Then season four came. We went to Miami and I just remember kids screaming, photographers running after us. And I was just like, what? what? Wait, what just happened? Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they face in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome to Exec Producer. Today's guests are really two phenomenal people uh, who I am fortunate enough to call both friends and colleagues for many, many years. On my left, Farnaz Farjam, the fourth Kardashian sister, as we'll come to, to discover soon. Met her, I was going to say many years ago, but a few years ago, Simple Life Season 2, Cross Country, Paris and Nicole. On my right is a woman who actually, I think we've been work spouses twice, not once, but twice. So there was a divorce and then yeah. a reconciliation. <laughs> now it's actually, we're, we're on a break again, but who knows? Maybe we'll But come. getting along great. But getting along great. Yeah. Maybe better. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, luckily there was, there was no prenup. So I don't know. There was really nothing to nup. So anyway, we are at the really stunning Buna Murray headquarters in Glendale. It's pretty staggering. And I, you know, for anyone who ever gets a chance to come here. I highly recommend it. And this one's a little bit different because while we typically are here to just talk about one show, this one actually is a is a relationship. And it's a relationship between a production company and a network that I think is, is I would argue, is unsurpassed in television right now. The volume of shows that Buna Murray has made for E! is staggering. And the number of those shows that were made by the two people I'm joined with today, Domlin and Fernaz, is, is equally kind of mind-boggling. It's incredible that they do anything outside of just these shows themselves. But as this is a show about the relationship between the executive and the producer, I honestly can think of no two better people uh, to to speak on that, you know, because they really exemplify it with hard work, smarts, grace, determination, and, you know, a whole lot of other stuff that we're going to talk about today. We've been married for at least 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. 14 years? <laughs> at least 14. Yeah, I don't know. It's 15. That sounds like there's like the that's one of those round number anniversaries, so we're going to have to look up what, what you're going to have to get each other. But the show that started it all for these two is The Kardashians. And while there's many other shows, and some we'll, we'll get to today, that show really launched this relationship. And so let's start as we always start uh, with the light bulb. Not so much the light bulb for the show The Kardashians, because it actually, of course, was not conceived by Dom Lady, but the light bulb for kind of how this relationship began. So Damla, do you mind taking away with that? So um, in 2007, I started at E! And um, the the first sort of presentation that uh, Lisa Berger at the time asked me to oversee was something that Elliot Goldberg at RSP had sold her about the Kardashian family. Um, and so we did some development tape with Elliot and very quickly... Um, decided, you know what, we have an empty slot that we need to fill. Another show had fallen out, and the show seemed to have enough promise. And we just went for it, and we we had to be on the air. I think at that point, it was eight weeks later, um, Elliot and uh, Lisa had mutually decided to bring in Buna Murray, and Elliot had taken a meeting with Jeff Jenkins and had decided that would be sort of the right marriage in order to get the show up and running in a very short amount of time, um, just because RSP had not had that infrastructure at that point, and Buna Murray really had had a history with E doing Simple Life. So it was a marriage that just sort of made sense and felt right to everybody. So I think that's where Fernaz came into the picture. Once Buna Murray's deal was done, 
I kept hearing about this amazing woman named Fernaz who would be perfect to show run this. But the problem was Fernaz was on her honeymoon. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> in Rome. So I think you got the call. I got the call. And, um, and then I got the call and they were like, hey, we know you don't know anything about these people, but you have to make the same air date on the show that you prepped for. You get zero prep now. And uh, you have a new baby. And I was like, uh, okay, I'll be home on Friday. When do I get to meet the family? And they were like, you get to meet them that Monday. And I was like, okay, just let them know that they should be ready to shoot in a week. <laughs> that was it. So really, this is the wedding gift that, uh, that was, was you the... know, keep on giving. Thank totally. You. Thank you, John Murray. Thank you. Um, so, well, I guess and you, know, you have to flatter yourself here for a second, but why were you the perfect person to run this show? Because you were the kind of person that would answer the call on your honeymoon? Or, you know, were there other reasons why you think you were you were sort of nominated and chosen for this? I honestly think because at the time they felt like with so many women, they needed someone who had people skills, I guess, you know, someone who could help make people comfortable to share. And I um had proven I had that type of relationship with other people, so they felt like I was the right fit. I don't know. You have to ask them. Did you tell me, I, I don't know if this is right, but this is so long ago, but I feel like the first time I met you, we went to dinner, and it was you and me and Jason Sarlanis and Jeff Jenkins. And I remember, I think, you told me a story about how you had met Kim once when you yeah. were filming Simple Life. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I did. I met Kim uh, at Paris's house, and we were actually doing interviews. And God help me, I don't think Paris will get mad at this, but Paris did not like her glam team. And she was really, really upset. And Kim at the time was doing her closet, and she kind of helped us get a new glam squad in through the door to the rescue. All right, so you come back from Rome, and you've got about eight minutes to get this show going. Dama, why only eight minutes? I knew you alluded to that a show went away, but I mean, it was really that simple. It was really a that simple. Hole in the schedule. Yep, we had a hole in the schedule, and we needed to fill it. And we thought this show had the goods to do so. And I mean, did you? There's obviously no way you could have predicted the success that we're going to get to in a second. But like, just having a hole in the schedule is one thing. You're still picking. Yeah, of a course. Great show, of right? course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just it, it was something about the fabric of of the the fam the human dynamics within this family, the way at their core they really all did and still do root for each other and love each other and want the best for each other. But there's sort of this this you know surface layer of them saying unbelievable things to each other and you know completely unfiltered things and and things that you might think but not say <laughs> um and i think there was something about that that sort of drew us in um i also think brand wise they made sense for us because you know they were just super fun and super um kind of that you know i've talked about the before that cross-section of relatable and aspirational like i know what it's like to have that family dynamic but i don't know what it's like to have that life um and of course, our life has changed throughout the years, but uh, it just sort of felt on brand, like there was a flirtiness to it that felt like what you might come to E for, a little bit of that kind of fun escape. And I was excited because I felt like they also gave beautiful a new definition. They were curvier, they were darker, they were, you know, they just gave sexy a new definition. You know, at yeah. the time, I feel like what was popular was like tall, skinny, blonde. And here comes these really beautiful, darker hair girls that were beautiful and had fun. I mean, one thing no one's ever necessarily talked about, but you and I have talked about a little bit, is um, I think who we are as people, you know, you being Persian and me being Turkish-American and this family being uh, Armenian-American, there was sort of something that, at least for me, I recognized in this family from my own upbringings, so the way they spoke to each other and the way they sort of related to each other and the way things slid off their back and they could say outrageous things, but you knew there was so much love there and they would literally die for each other. That was very familiar to me, and I think for it me might too. be cultural. Yeah. For me, too. You know, I think sometimes... People are so sensitive, but they're so 
they're good at picking on each other. And even though sometimes they hurt each other's feelings, you still know they love each other and they're going to come back. So it's okay. It kind of like reminds me of like what I do to my mom or my niece or my sister, you know? So I don't know. I definitely connect with them. Well, and clearly the audience did as well, right? So you've got eight weeks to get this show to air. I had six weeks. Six weeks. She had eight weeks. (laughs) 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 But, you know, oftentimes I I think that there's this sense that, oh, producers, executives, you know, it's their side, my side, you know, different opposing sides, when in reality that doesn't get you anywhere. Um, Was there anything, though, where you're thinking – who the what the fuck is this network thinking? How are we going to get this on the air in six weeks? Do they? I mean, we have to produce this show. Like, do you think there was anyone thinking the network doesn't know this is impossible, or we can't do this? We can't put out the kind of quality product that we want to put out in this time frame, or is that just not your way? Or is it's that not, not the my way. way? It's not the Murray way. It's not my way. We I we got lucky enough. There's a guy named Chris Ray who was there on the very first episode who also helped us find the tone on Simple Life um, that we automatically snagged. You know, we have enough talent pool in the building where we know, okay, we are tasked with this. Get it done. You just got to throw the right team on it. And um, so I think if we were just all in get it done mode. Right. Thank God they were half hours. (laughs) Yes, thank God they were half hours, because if it required drama, I don't know that I could have done it. (laughs) Yeah, the show was much lighter at the time, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a reality sitcom. You know, that was sort of what we were going for at that time, which is easier than our dramas, to your point, for sure. And and we worked tirelessly day and night between Buna Murray and Elliot and myself and Jason. I mean, I remember, just as an example, we locked the music for the main titles you know, going back and forth over a Saturday afternoon, like nothing sounded right. And finally we're all like, just do it like Mayberry. It's, it's, it's like Mayberry. And that's where that music cue came from. Totally. You know, that ended up being totally a signature for the show. And I remember having to call Domo and be like, okay, I'm sorry, but we're going to need your notes in the next four hours if we're going to make this deadline. And she would be like, okay, no problem. Let me see what I can move around. I'm like, bless you. Bye. And then we like, hang up. But that's what it needed for us to make that air date there was like no time to dilly dally and let the editors sit around for a day right you couldn't waste anything nope so you're in production you're making this comedy thank god it's half hours you got the mayberry whistle you're figuring it out you're jamming what were your expectations you know what were let's start here what were the network's expectations for this show you know, you didn't really have enough time to even assess it, market it properly. No, there was no time for a focus group or anything like that. We just had to dive in, you know, with both feet. Um, I, I, honestly, my expectation was, oh, God, I hope it's done in time and I hope we make air <laughs> and I hope it's fun, which it was. Like, honestly, you can't think when you're going at lightning speed like that, you really can't also think so far ahead that, you know, you're, you're thinking about nuance four years down the road. Like... At that point in time, it was just a scramble to get it done. And we knew, you always sort of know, I know you know this as an exec, you always sort of know how you feel about a show when you see it hit your inbox, right? Is it, if it feels like work, like, oh, I'm going to have to watch it, it's probably not going to work. But if it feels like, oh, I can't wait to open that, that's going to be fun, even if there's a lot to be done, it's probably going to work. And that sort of fell in that latter category for me where I was like, I can't wait to see what this actually looks like. Sure. You know? Did you... Uh... Do you remember sort of premiere night? Do you remember from your strategy or any of that kind of stuff? Like what, what did you think it was going to do well? I mean, you, I guess you had a gut sense that it would cause you enjoyed it, but obviously you couldn't have predicted even one one hundredth of the success that, you know, that the show's experienced. Right. I remember we were, I was working on this about the same time we were working on the first season of Snoop Dogg's fatherhood. And, you know, they were two different propositions in some way because Snoop, everyone knew who Snoop was not a lot of people knew who the Kardashians were. So, you know, when you compare them that way, you sort of think, well, Snoop might have a better chance just because of the recognizability. But there, 
I think there was just something about this family that got people talking and that was unexpected and was loud. And we spent so many years and still, somehow we, we, we still are sometimes in this space where loud is that word, that buzzword, that thing that you need that gets someone to just talk about the show to their friend and tell them to watch it. And there was just something loud about this family. I also think in a way it was a little bit of a blessing that we didn't have time to overanalyze and overthink. We literally just had to go with our gut and follow it as fast as we could and didn't have time to second guess our choices, which sometimes makes me think, you know, do we sometimes overthink the shows we're making? Probably. It does make me think. (laughs) All right, so Dama... It feels good. The cuts are coming in. She's not dreading watching them. She's excited and, you know, enjoying that process. I would imagine you're getting the same sense in the field, right? That these women and are, you know, for the most part women, but this family is delivering. They are. And the first... Anything you ask, they're doing it? I'm following their lead. I'll be honest, because we wanted it to be organic, be about them, I was following their lead that I have to sometimes help push them to have conversations. Sure. I think that's a part of it. Like if that's how you're feeling, why are you telling Kim, go tell your mom. It's about your mom. Sure. That's a part of the job. Um, But I kind of was just following their lead and navigating. And And I will tell you to this day, those early seasons were so fun for me. So fun. They were just fun to be around. And I think the audience felt Mm -hmm. what I was lucky enough to feel in person. You know, they felt it on TV. So the show comes out. Is it a hit right out of the gate? From what I remember, it's not like the first episode all of a sudden was like, oh, my God, millions and millions and millions of people. But it built fairly quickly in that first season, which is super hard to come by. Um, So I, I remember I think it was about halfway through the first season we were prepping a second season. I really don't remember the specifics, but I remember the the growth was week on week was was unbelievably strong. And then I and I so remember second season was also like go 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 <laughs> to be on the air and you know some ridiculous amount of time from what I can remember. I don't remember what it was, but it sort of seems that those first few seasons it was there was not a lot of waiting. No, yeah, no. So, but when you're making this first season, they're a relatively unknown group of people, mm-hmm. right? And so. The challenges, I'm sure, of making season two were probably quite different in a couple ways, I would imagine. Number one, right, there is just the talent themselves. Now they know what it's like to be on TV and how they are and, you know, how they're supposed to act or not act. But also just people in general. I mean, was the paparazzi stuff already stopping, starting to happen? Was fans? There was no paparazzi, to be honest, until season four. Okay. And it's funny because Namla and I were talking about this the other day but I remember when Kim was on Dancing with the Stars shit I meant to bring in my shirt for you but we all wore these shirts that was like Team Kim the crew and the cast and we all went down Robertson trying to get attention so people would vote for Kim on Dancing with the Stars and like we were literally like hello t-shirts we're here like no one was bothering us then season four came We went to Miami and I just remember kids screaming, photographers running after us. And I was just like, what? What, Wait, what just happened between these two moments? What did happen? I don't know. I mean, maybe we could blame social media. I still don't quite know it. I don't know 100% what turn the dial to like, let's go spastic for the Kardashians. But something did. And all of a sudden, we were like, holy shit, we need security. What is going on? Any guesses on your end, Amla? I mean, when did you feel this sort of the tide, the popular culture tide start to shift? I mean, I remember reading tabloid articles about the show, even in season one and two. Um, but I don't really feel like people, people I would never expect to know the name Kardashian, who I knew didn't watch it or didn't follow pop culture. I feel like that didn't happen until about, yeah, season three or four. Um, Yeah, I don't know what the sort of exciting incident was. I think it was probably just the collection of story after story and picture after picture. Just critical mass. Yeah, I think, think yeah. 
I actually also remember, I don't remember if we went to a Burger King or a Taco Bell, some random fast food place. And it was Kim, Chloe, and I, and some fans started asking them to take selfies or pictures with them. At the time, I don't even know if they were called selfies, but they were pictures. And Chloe was like, it's so weird. Like, they're all asking us for pictures. And that was probably season two or three, but it's just, it's funny. Now you... Now it's dangerous to walk down the street with them sometimes. So did your management of them, not just from having to hire security and, and be you know, more careful in your comings and goings, but did they become just self-aware in a different kind of way? I mean, what sort of producing tricks did you have to, to learn and, and adopt on the fly as they became arguably the most famous, famous family on earth? Um, yeah, I think it goes in waves because sometimes when you are so much the attention people love to hate and it naturally makes people insecure. Um, And I think the insecurity go in a wave. I've always joked with Kim that I want to do a cartoon called Unapologetically Kim because she can be so funny and even when people like put her down most of the time she could be so strong and take it take it like a champ but she even sometimes gets a little like it gets to you if enough people talk about you in a negative way I think it starts to wear on you but then she finds her strength again and then it's fun again you know yeah I mean I can't even I can't even imagine because this is a family that even though they grew up around it a bit like nothing can prepare you no nothing Nothing can can prepare prepare you. you in fact it's funny because there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to do a reality show. And my first advice is always like, okay, just prepare yourself because good things come from it when it's a success, but bad things come from it too. And you need to have a thick, thick skin. Yeah, exactly. Right. So people come in, oh, I want to be on a reality show. I'd make a great reality show. I mean, I would, I would imagine the original pitch for this family was probably this family and they're so crazy, right? And they're attached to Hollywood, this, that, the other. Like, it's remarkable that it even got through the first phase and it took, you know, all the amazing sort of qualities you mentioned for that to happen. But after the success of this, I'm sure Buna Murray heard 101 versions of it. I'm sure E heard 1,001 versions of it. I mean, what is your sort of barometer, Damla, for celebrity families coming in you know, do you even take pitches of non-celebrity families anymore? We do. I mean, it really comes down to character. I think we spent many years sort of chasing celebrity in terms of like, oh, the bigger the celebrity, the more likely people are going to watch. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I really think it comes down to character, right? So I will meet with somebody if something about it feels like I could kind of put it into the E! universe and there's an amazing character, I'll pursue it. Um, I remember after Kardashians was a success, I heard like, oh, every network's looking for their Kardashians. I was like, really? <laughs> and then I realized w- we were also sort of, you know, taking those same pitches and nothing really compared. Like you just can't do it twice. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of feel like you go where the best characters are and then you sort of find what is the right show around them. I don't think you can necessarily backfill a celebrity family show, so to speak. And what about you, Fernaz? What's your barometer in taking these pitches? I mean, you guys have become the go-to home for every celebrity that wants to do a, you know, a reality show. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of celebrity families come in. Um, and it's just hard because I think that what was so cool about the Kardashians is they were willing to share. They um, really, truly, truly did have this bond where they lifted each other up. And especially, even though they tear each other down sometimes, when anyone's the one in pain or hurt or whatever, they're so good at like surrounding each other. And I just don't know that other celebrity families really had that every time I met with them. And maybe it's because when we first met them, they weren't celebrities. So they had that bond because I think the life of a celebrity, you get so busy that you don't have so much time to always be aware of your family members' feelings. 
I also think you just can't half do it. I think a lot of people wanted to come in and pitch themselves, but didn't really want to give and share all the vulnerabilities and all the ups and downs. And I think when you're already a celebrity, you're in the business of protecting your celebrity. Totally. And that doesn't translate to great TV. It really doesn't. That's true. Right. Whereas their business and their celebrity has come from sharing everything, right? Sharing is their, is their talent. Does, to that point, though, do they have lines? Do they have sort of no-fly zones and things to say for Nas? Just don't even, don't even try. They didn't. That's the best way I could answer that. They didn't. They are celebrities now, <laughs> so you, you you can do the math. <laughs> right. But I still think I, I will say one of the reasons I think you are an astounding producer is even knowing that I think there still always is a way and you will find it to get to the core of the matter, to get to the heart of what is going on in their lives in a way that they are comfortable with. And that is sort of the, the secret sauce here, even if it means waiting. A hundred percent. And I will say this, they are always willing to this day to share about themselves because now they have, whether it's significant others or friends that are in the celebrity world, they are trying to be respectful of those people's boundaries who didn't become them for sharing, or I don't even know how to phrase it, but didn't get their successes from sharing. And, you know, to their credit, they respect the fact that that's not their friend's job or their significant other's job. So they have to withhold certain things out of respect for the people in their life now. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. No, it really does. Um, to that point, I mean, you are such an insider with this family and, you know, are in sort of their inner circle when it comes to that and have to be respectful of privacy and, sure you've seen a lot of things that you're obviously not at liberty to you know to talk about have you ever been put in a position where you've had to choose sides i mean how do you maintain friendships and trust and respect from the network you know from your company that you represent from this family from a family that's fractured where you know divorce and now there's all of a sudden two sides and i mean how do you juggle that all um successfully i, I just i have to make some some decisions based on my gut and do what I feel like is the right thing to do. I'll share two stories. The day that Kim went into labor with North, there was the paparazzi hounding outside of the, uh, her, where her gynecologist was. And she didn't know exactly how to get away to go deliver. And I happened to call her at that time. And all the paparazzi at this point know everyone's cars. So I was like, okay, I'll come pick you up and sneak you out of a hotel. I won't even name which hotel. And um, I had to call my husband and say, hey, the paparazzi know my car. I need to switch cars with you for the day. I ran, switched my dad's, I mean, switched my husband's car with him, went, snuck Kim and Chris into my car, literally they threw blankets over their head and got her to the hospital. The next day, I don't remember if it was Lisa or Suzanne, one one of the, the execs from E! called me, and it wasn't Domla. If it was Domla, I honestly probably would have told the truth. But one of the execs <laughs> from E called me and they're like, there's rumor that Kim is at the, the hospital delivering her baby. And I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Like You would have told me. I would have told you. I feel like if Donald would have called me, I would have told her the truth because I know if I would have said, but please don't say anything, she wouldn't have said anything. But um, yeah, I had to bold face lie. And I was like, shit. Well, you know, I had to pick a side. <laughs> I don't know. I think you picked the right size. Your yeah. nose is still the right size, so yeah. it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, so, okay, well, the show is, you know, at this point, right, they're having babies, and the show is the cultural phenomena that we know that it is. But the relationship with the network has also grown at this time, right? Because you've got 
not just dozens or hundreds of episodes. You have spinoffs. You have, you know, other shows on E. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the two of you and really what makes this marriage so successful. I mean, I I looked today as I was coming here, how many series we've done together. It's 15. Wow. That's 15 series together. That doesn't even, you know, count any development that we've done that didn't go forward. So, I mean, we talk almost, I, I think we talk every day. On Tuesdays, I think we talk about four hours a day because we have to go over four different shows. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we started combining everything into one weekly call, but we still talk every day because things always pop up, even if it's just us bouncing ideas or thoughts off of each other. Like, hey, here's how I'm thinking about approaching this problem. What do you think? You know, I think we do a lot of strategizing and problem solving together. And I think, no, you used the word earlier that I think is the, the basis and the foundation for all of this, which is trust. I mean... I think without that, we wouldn't have this foundation upon which so many shows have been sort of born and built because I know that I can trust Fernaz to look out and get for the show and get the best content possible with minimal collateral damage. Because it's important to me that when people work on a show for E, I want it to be a great experience. I want it to be something they want to repeat if we renew the season. I want it to be something they're going to remember fondly. Um, so I know that I will get that with her. And even if you don't tell us in the moment that so-and-so is in the hospital, whatever it is, I know that episode is going to be as good as it can possibly be. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that trust is everything to me. And that goes, you know, I think you have the same trust with the family, um, which also is essential. And I just know I can count on you and we've had texts in the middle of the night about news breaking and how do we handle this. We've talked, you know, in the wee hours of the morning when things are happening, the Kardashians, uh, like you said, are one show, but we've had so many shows that are not nine to five kind of shows. There's two incidences that, well, more than two, but there's two that like stick out to me where I was kind of in like tears and not knowing how to navigate. And I called Dom one. I was like, you cannot tell, like I'm freaking out um and one was you know caitlin the whole transition and trying to navigate through that and the other thing was everything going on with lamar Mm -hmm. and uh you know it the whole thing with lamar it wasn't out yet but you have someone in your life that you've been tracking and spending so much time with you get attached and then you know you see them falling apart it's just it's hard and you don't want to make it about a TV show. You don't want to sensationalize the whole situation and you're just trying to navigate, be a friend, be a producer, be a this. And I would like call Dama in tears. <laughs> I think people are always more important than shows, right? <laughs> I think your relationship with people is more important than the show because if the first is there, the second will come. Which is the truth. Well, and- you know, looking at a larger picture here, I would say, you know, at least from my vantage, Buna Murray is in an enviable position because you as a company have, you know, arguably the most important franchise on Lifetime with Project Runway. You know, you've got all the real world and the challenge stuff with MTV. Now you've got the balls on Facebook. Born this way. Born this way on A&E, won the Emmy. It seems like across the board, Buna Murray is able to accomplish this sort of success with executives, with networks that other people and other, you know, companies aren't able to do. Why do you think that is? Is it trust? Is there something more than trust? I mean, I I think it's no accident. No, there's a message that we always try to say to our showrunners or our executives that are in direct contact with networks now, I think the relationship I have with Domla, I don't have with any other network exec. We just happen to click beyond the work. But um, I think we always look at our buyers as our buyers. This is customer service. They're not here to work against us. They're buying a product from us, and they're, they want their product to be good, and it's okay for them to be concerned. So we don't get annoyed or frustrated when – um, network execs have a concern or, you know, even at times don't deliver that concern in the most constructive or thoughtful way, which I'm lucky because Domla is so thoughtful and 
so good at delivering her concerns that they're always constructive. Not every network's notes are constructive. Um, but I think it's our job to kind of stay calm and how do you say, like extract that information from them? Yeah, I would. And I would also say as talented as you are, your teams are just as talented. Your story teams and your editors are able to actually take the spirit of a note and apply it throughout. And that is fairly hard to come by. Totally. You know, we are very lucky. Knock on wood. No one steal our people. (laughs) Because this is so successful and because networks struggle to find this type of success and trust with companies, why don't you see this type of relationship happening more? And I guess my point is, was there any you know, talk ever of really formalizing this relationship in a more significant way to the best of your knowledge? I mean, I think the answer is I don't really know what conversations happen sort of on a much more sort of financial level. It may have been um, a whisper of a thought, but I think at the end of the day, we didn't really need to formalize it. Like I said, we had 15 series throughout the last 10 years. Um, I don't know that there was a need for more. I, you know, I don't know that we needed a formal deal to then do more business because if we found great projects, we would already do more business. So I don't, I, I think that it may have just ended up with a lot of money spent and formality that at the end of the day, we already were For doing what? it, right. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, how many of these relationships can you physically handle at one, at one point? A lot. I mean, really? I, a lot. I, I will say I don't have many relationships that, um, I have so many shows with just one person the way I do with Renaz, but um, I think it's, I think I can have as many of those relationships as the quality of the producers will allow. If I can spend five minutes telling a producer one or two overall notes and get the second cut with a sort of significant step forward, I can manage more of those than if I have to spend an hour going through things line by line. So I think, you know, like the, the, if I can have a lot of shows with great producers, it's doable. If I have to spend more of my time dedicating and sort of like fixing things for people, quote unquote, fixing things for people. I I don't really think executives do that really. (laughs) I think you tell them your reaction, you diagnose how you're feeling or you, you describe how you're feeling and it really should be on the producer and their team to diagnose what's wrong and, and, and really prescribe what the fixes are. Um, and then I think development's an entirely different beast. You know, I think that's much more about the dreaming than the asking. Like, will this, will the world find this family in Calabasas as entertaining as we do? Well, you know, will this young medium become Hollywood's go-to medium? You know, whatever examples there are, development is much more about sort of dreaming together and figuring out how to offer up on a presentation or on a piece of development tape what all the offerings could be in series. I think they're they're two different things, and I you know enjoy them both so much, and use they kind of use different parts of your brain, and in some ways tax different parts of your relationship with the producer. Sure, but but all of them require the producer bring just as much to the table, if not more. Right, and now producers have to bring more than ever to the table. More than ever, yeah, absolutely. Right, I mean it's uh, especially for you guys at E, where I think you get pigeonholed into. I mean, if every place needs celebrity, then E you know, it was the original place that needed celebrity. I mean, how do you, how do we sort of find our way outside of this, this pickle that we're in right now, right? Where, you know, if it's just another celebrity docu-soap, like we've kind of seen that before and then, oh, it's, but the celebrity's going to host the format. That's what's going to make it different. I mean, where's your gut as to, you know, what's exciting you these days, you know, and, and without giving away too many state yeah. secrets, like, what sort of trends and, you know, obviously social media plays a big part in this. Like, I mean, where do you, where do you see this going? I mean, I feel like it's been said to death, but it has been because it's true. I really think authenticity is the thing that wins at the end of the day. If you can turn on a show and enter a specific world that makes you feel a specific way that you enjoy and you want to feel more than once, (laughs) I think that's sort of the key. I don't know that there is a magic formula in terms of it's got to be a format with XYZ or if it's going to be a docu-soap, it totally. has to have these four kinds of people. I actually don't like applying math to creative problems. I think it's all about the way it makes the viewer feel. Totally. I agree. And then for notes on your side in development, I mean, do you guys, here, as I look at a poster here of, you know, Rose McGowan, Citizen Rose, 
you know, and Total Divas and, I mean, just Paris and Nicole are up there. Like, there's just a really interesting cross-section, Mariah Carey, cross-section of celebrities that sort of dot your walls here. Do you have a hit list or, you know, are people now just because you guys are the go-to company for this, everyone just coming to you? Like, how do you guys approach sort of the celebrity development now and... You know, it's funny because I literally, I follow the feeling, just like Dalma said. It's, it's sometimes people come in here and they're like, well, this drama is going on and that's happening and this is happening. And I'm like, okay, well, how do we capture that? Because is this person going to be involved? And they're like, and sometimes it's just so dark that you don't want it. Even though, you know, the topic of Rose was a little dark to me, it was an important messaging. So it was it was the responsible thing to to try to get that one off the ground um but a lot of times i think people have a they don't have a clear picture of what people want to watch i think people think we want to watch fights all the time and we want to watch cattiness all the time and you know they come in here and they pitch the shit show in their show and i'm just like yeah no thanks not my thing do you wind up having to convince people to do shows or typically by the time they get to you by the time it gets to you they're they already know they want to do it i mean it depends like we obviously have things in development where you know someone needs to do something with a celebrity and it's episodic it's not like trying to talk them into doing an entire series um, that sometimes you have to go out and ask people or we have other projects in development that we're passionate about that obviously we know would sell better if a comedian was attached or, a, you know, just because of the, the tone of the show or the concept of the show. So, yeah, we have to go out after people. I think it just comes with the territory. I mean, it's... Whatever you guys are doing, it's clearly remarkable. I mean, it's it's clear you guys have a real affinity for each other, um, you know, and a real love and mutual respect. And I guess it's just all built on that, you know? Yeah, I just it's funny. I, I just hear so many stories about sort of contentious relationships between networks and producers. And I don't I don't get that. I don't mean to seem over, I don't mean to seem overly naive, but I just feel like if that's how it is, you're doing it wrong. One of you is doing it wrong, <laughs> if that's how it is, because that's never going to result in great, great programming. And not to overly simplify it, but you really are on the same team. So figure out how to pass to each other and make that goal, because there's another show on another network that's going to do that if you're not. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily bad so much as indifferent in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, you can tell if they're into it. You know, people don't become more into shows. Right. But sometimes they put money against it. And I think you sit there as a producer thinking, God, they're spending money on this. Why won't they return my calls? Or, oh, yeah. Why? I have had that problem. Did it take <laughs> like, them oh, okay. Yes. Four days to get me notes on Like, there's money. Like, it's, you know, and I've so. I've definitely had that problem. Yeah. And we've had that problem many times, thankfully, never with E. But, um, yeah. And then, and then it has to get a little bit ugly where it's like, okay. It's been 72 hours. You're not getting us your notes. So this is your uh, locked cut. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you didn't get back to us with what you wanted. That yeah. does happen. Yeah. and I mean, why do you think? Uh, just lack of communication maybe with their bosses, fear of being fired. I don't know. I think, I think there's such a... There's so many people moving around in our industry right now. And that's the truth. You know, I think there's places where people are still trying to find their groove and their legs. And I mean, if I think about it, and I don't remember who told me this, um, it might have been the EIC at your at E. But when we first started keeping up with the Kardashians, I believe there was like 11 different places that were distributing content. Now there's like over 120. So if you think about how massive this industry has gotten, you know, yeah, I think people are just trying to find their groove again, maybe. I guess, but to that point, I would think catch your flies with honey, right? If I've got 120 places I can go, you know, don't make that 119. 
right? But it doesn't seem to be that way. I, I don't reason. know why. You tell me why. You, you've been on both sides recently. You tell me why, because it's a, it's a mystery to me. Yeah, I think it's desperation. I think it's people are afraid of losing their jobs and industry trends and implosion. And I think you're protected from it somewhat here at Buna Murray, frankly, because you're such a successful, massive company that, you know, while you're still in the outgoing call business, you're also in the incoming call business. Obviously, it happened on this show. And I think at the E-Network, you know, the reputation is also, God, such nice people, such clear sort of brand and, and what they want and um, executives who communicate well with their bosses and the higher ups is a big piece of it as well. And when that's not clicking, then, you know, good luck because you're going to get notes one day that the sky is blue. And then two days later, oh, actually it's, it's purple. Right. I forgot oh, to tell the you. Conflicting notes. I feel so fortunate that I have worked for bosses that that don't make me deal with, oh no, now there's a set of notes that completely conflict with the ones I just gave because I would die a little death inside. And I feel really bad for, for executives that do have to deal with that because that would be so shitty to have to pass that on. It really would. And I just, I feel honestly very fortunate that I've, I've worked for bosses that also feel that way. And we get on the same page from day one. But I think, I think you have been at E! for 10 years. You've helped figure out the tone of so many of the shows that whoever bosses come in, I think know that they're lucky because you've already found the E! voice. Like they, I do. One would You're hope, not yeah. giving yourself enough credit. Tama, I think. Tama has earned Yeah, she has earned to... her stripes and her voice. <laughs> but you never stop earning them. No, right. and I also feel like I've reached a point with you for nods where you can read my mind. Like you, you're gonna, you know what I want long before yeah. you, you even give me the first rough cut. We actually had know. dinner last night, and I was like, the first seventeen minutes are really slow and boring, right? And she's like, exactly. I was like, I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. People have their turn. <laughs> Sorry, you know, but I couldn't do that with any other exec because I would right. be too insecure. But so we're gonna go back in the time machine again here for a second before we before we wrap up. So uh, first question, Damla, to you, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? I mean, really, what I'll, I'll answer your question, but, but what I wish we could do, what I wish we had instituted in this industry is like a swapping program between producers and executives where you had to spend six months to a year on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and you just had to do it. It was mandatory if you were going to graduate to that next level and whatever side you were in, because I really, really, really think that helps. I think where it gets very frustrating for people is when they're getting notes from development executives that have never really made anything, that they've just kind of come up sitting on desks and, and learning that side of it, but they've never had that experience of making something. And then also, you know, producers who've never had that experience of, understanding why maybe it may take longer than you want to get a decision or or what sort of internal battles are being fought on your behalf that you may not even know about. So I guess my my advice is like really listen and and really do what you can to understand the wider view of how things get made. What I think I have at? a semi quote. Oh. <laughs> Don't criticize before you understand. <laughs> Which is my quote in my room. Uh -huh. Yep. It's great. Now okay, for Nas. 25-year-old Fernaz already had a six-year-old daughter, okay? Yeah. Your circumstances were not easy nope. to, you know, you're answering calls on your honeymoon. You, you're here because of your approach to all this. So is your advice to your 25-year-old self just freaking work hard and, and, you know, find good childcare? I mean, what, how? Yeah, I think people need to know that if you're going to get into this industry, you're going to make sacrifices. So... You have to make a decision. I happen to be in a situation where I was very broke. You know, when my daughter was born, we lived in South Central, and I knew I had to make sacrifices. I knew, listen, I need grandma to help me out, watch my daughter, and this is the job that I landed that's going to pay me more than minimum wage, and you're going to be gone out of the country eight months out of the year. I mean, like... My first couple shows I was in town, but then I started doing the challenges. I was literally out of the country for eight months out of the year. And there was sacrifices to be made. And I just knew that my end game was when my daughter is ready to go to college, I'm going to be able to afford it. Before my daughter 
goes to middle school, I'm going to have a house with a white picket fence. And I had all these things and two dogs and I did it. So there's just sacrifices and people always ask me advice on like, how do I get to where you are? There's not a perfect formula because our industry changes so much. I think my best advice is assess your position and that show and see how you can contribute to making it better, making it run smoother, making it elevate in creativity. Like what can you bring to the table that no one's thought about to make everything better instead of being a part of the problem, always be a part of the solution and everything else will come. A lot of what I have ran into, especially now with the younger, you know, uh, crowd is sometimes like, you know, they'll AP for six months and then they're like, can I be a segment producer? I'm like, no. Like, what are you talking about? You're not there yet. Like, can you just keep your head to the ground and get your job done and then worry about the promotion? I promise you it will come naturally. I have never, 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 ever asked for a promotion. I've asked for a raise when a promotion was offered to me, but I've never, ever been the person that's in there like, I need this now. Like, just nose to the grind. I feel like one of the pieces of advice I heard and I kind of kept with me is make yourself indispensable, but know that everybody is replaceable. Well, the two of you would be very difficult to replace. Let's at least put you in that category. It's uh, just really a treat to call you both friends and to be able to sit down and have this conversation. Um, I guess we'll leave with, uh, you mentioned 15 shows. So, Dama, how many of those can you mention? Well. Oh. Oh, (laughs) Okay. So this is assuming that the Take franchise, like Take Miami Take, is all one show. Okay. Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Take Franchise, The Spin Crowd, Stewarts and Hamiltons, Total Divas, Total Bellas, Married to Rock, Mrs. Eastwood and Company, So Cosmo, Dash Dolls, Life of Kylie, I Am Kate, Chloe Lamar, Mariah's World, Robin China. Wow. <laughs> wow. Drop the mic. Thank you. So there you have it. The full story of the Kardashians. Thank you to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you as well to our guests, Farnaz Farjam and Damla Dogan, and to my wonderful family for all their help and support. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. Lastly, please do subscribe to Exec Producer anywhere you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. Thank you again for listening to this episode. And please come back for our next one. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>